You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Why are we here today? I mean, it's 2021, and we've got the technology to do this kind of stuff online, don't we? Um, To be honest, that would make my job a lot easier. Wouldn't have to deal with messy relationships or worry about whether the building was ready. And if, if I adjust the camera just right, I wouldn't have to wear pants to preach, which that's, that's pretty cool, right? Um, I'm being somewhat sarcastic here, but in all seriousness, this is a, this is a really important question. Um, it's very important because this past year, the global pandemic brought about this question, kind of brought it into the spotlight and people started to ask, you know, do we even need to physically gather anymore? And, and churches um, started starting these digital campuses and hiring full-time pastors to, to lead these online initiatives. And list. listen, I am all for reaching people online. That's awesome. And, and for one of my classes in seminary, um, that was one of our jobs. We had to be like an online um, agent. When you text Jesus, um, if you text the number Jesus and ask a question, that would go to like me and my friends and we'd be like trying to help these people. And like, that's awesome, okay? But that, but that led to a question, um, if we can just have church online, then why, why do we bother meeting, right? Is there any point to it? And if you've heard me preach for any length of time, you probably know how I'm going to answer that question. Um, and so I'm just going to go ahead and show my cards up front. Yes, the physical gathering is essential. And I mean essential. I mean irreplaceable. I mean you can't actually, in the most literal sense, have online church. You can preach sermons online. You can sing songs online, but you can't do the one thing that makes a church a church, which is physically assemble. That's literally the definition of a church. And you've probably heard this said before, that the church is a people, not a place. And that's true. But it would be more accurate to say that the church is a people who gather in a place. Right? The the word church means an assembly of people. And so you can do a lot of things online, but you can't physically assemble online. And, and we've got to wrestle with these things. And I think um, we're getting a little loose to, 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 with the Bible to try, to try to do things that are cool and awesome. And listen, again, let's reach people online. That's awesome. But let's not call it church. Let, let's call it an online service or something like that. But a church is an assembly. And we're in a series on the church. And so we need to understand this. Jonathan Lehman helpfully compares it um, to a soccer team in this analogy. I know I've used him to use other analogies in the past, but he, but he says the team is a people, not a place, right, just like a church. Um, and when the members of the team aren't gathered together playing soccer, they still remain a team and members of that team. But if the soccer team stops gathering to play on a regular basis, they no longer be, they're no longer a team, right? What makes a team a team is the fact that they regularly gather together. And what makes a church a church is that they regularly gather together. And by the way, this is more than just attending um, random church services, right? Like the ecclesiological buffet that we got going on here. Well, let's try this church today. And this church has a water slide for my kids, so I'm going to go here. And this church has really good coffee. So like, no, no, this is gathering regularly with your members of your local church and doing life together. And it's messy, right? It's like throwing a bunch of stones in the tumbler, I always say. And, and the rough ones kind of rub off. And over time, God's conforming you into Christ's images, um, image using um, other members. But to go back to our soccer team analogy, if you gather with just a random group and play soccer, that's fun. But, but that's not a team. And a church is an assembly of people who gather locally together um, to be a display of God's glory in that location. This is our fifth sermon, sermon in our series on the church, and we've talked about the purpose of the church. 
the definition of the church, the nature of the church, the marks of the church. And today we're going to talk about the gathering of the church. Um, but really, that's, that's kind of redundant because it's like the gathering of the gathering. Like, that is what we are. We are a gathering. And so, so, so that's why I hit the online thing. And I'm not going to preach on that all week. You're like, it's a random sermon. We're all here, you know? Don't get after us. And I'm also not getting on you if you're sick today and you're at home and you're watching. I understand and I, I'm thankful for technology. But ultimately, a church must gather regularly to remain a church. And so with that background in mind, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10. And while you're turning there, I'll give you this helpful theme of the book of Hebrews. Um, this is from the ESV Study Bible. Um, it puts it this way. Christ is greater than any angel, priest, or old covenant institution. Thus, each reader, rather than leaving such a great salvation as they were pressured to do, they were, they were pressured to go back to Judaism, to run away from Christianity. Things were getting hot and, and they weren't sure if they should stay. But rather than leaving this great salvation, they're summoned to hold on by faith to the true rest found in Christ. And, this is a key theme in the book, to encourage others in the church to persevere. In other words, hold fast. Don't leave the faith. I know you're going to be tempted to. I know you're going to be tempted to drift, to tempted to run away. But hold fast. Don't leave the faith. Keep persevering. And help others do the same. And in our passage today, we really get this helpful summary of all these themes in, in verses 19 through 25. In short, if you were to summarize this, we're challenged with three exhortations. And it's really important to, to make mention here that the, that the commands in this passage are rooted in the gospel. They flow from and are empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the commands here um, follow what Christ has done for us. And so we don't do this to earn God's favor. We do this because we have his favor. We're sons and daughters of the king. And so in light of the gospel and the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, that he would die for our sins and rise again triumphantly, we now have three exhortations. One, draw near to God. Two, hold fast your confession. And three, consider others. And notice they're all in the plural. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. In other words, this is a communal effort. We don't do this in isolation. Together, as a body, as a church, we draw near on the basis of Christ's priestly work. Together, we hold fast our confession because he who promised is faithful. Right? So we're rooting this in the character of God. We're saying you can take this to the bank. So, so we're going to hold fast because he promised and he's faithful. And together, we consider others. How we can stir up and encourage one another. And why? Why do we do all this? Well, ultimately... It's so that we can persevere in the faith by belonging to a community who helps us do that. And in order to get the true benefits of this community, we have to regularly gather with them in person. These types of things don't happen over a Zoom call. And thank God um, that we don't have to keep doing Zoom calls um, for <laughs> endlessly, right? Um, that was rough, okay? Anyways, for the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to look at five reasons why the gathering with other believers is essential. This series has been very teaching. Um, this is teaching as well um, because we need to understand these, these truths. They're very foundational. We need to know that the gathering is essential. Now, as I apply these, I'm going to focus on this Sunday morning gathering when the whole church is together, that the whole assembly, that's what makes a church. But I would, I would say that as we go through these, apply these to gathering and to fellowship in general. What do I always say? To thrive as a Christian, you need intentionally intrusive relationships. People who are going to get up all up in your business, right? People where you can just air it all out and just say, I need help, right? That's how we persevere. So yes, come and be a part of this, but, but be part of smaller gatherings. Get with people where you can be encouraged and, and confess sins and, and find help and be pointed to the gospel. 
So with that background in mind, we are focusing on this gathering, um, but apply this across the board. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 22, the author says this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And so first of all, um, the gathering helps us draw near to God. Last week, if you were here, you remember we said that the word of God creates and sustains the people of God. And it's not the other way around. And there's people who teach that it's the other way around. It's not. The word of God creates and sustains the people of God. That's how it's always been. We talked about Ezekiel and the Valley of Dry Bones. And he's looking at this dead army of skeletons. And, and God's like, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, Lord, you know. And he says, start preaching to the bones and tell them I'm going to give them life. And, and God gives them life. And, and when we went to the New Testament. We saw Jesus, the word made flesh, who not just preached, but embodied the word. He goes to, to Lazarus' funeral and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, a dead man, rises to life and comes out. And I said, if you are spiritually alive today, if you're a believer, it's because the word of God brought life to your dead soul. And that's a reason to worship. That's a reason to rejoice. And so if the word of God gives life, if the word of God creates and sustains the people of God, then we need the word. Like desperately, if we're going to persevere, we need the word. If we're going to keep drawing near to God, we need the word to help us do that. And so Jesus and God in his kindness has designed this unique banquet every single week where you can come and you can feast on the word of God. This is why we structure our entire service around the word of God. We have a call to worship where the word tells us to worship because the word creates life. We don't. And so we read the word. We pray the word. We sing the word. We preach the word. We see the word in baptism in the Lord's Supper. And then we respond to the word. It's all about the word from start to finish. Because it's the word that creates and sustains life. I am not here to entertain you. I am not here to give you helpful life tips for this week. I'm here to give you the word because that's what's going to sustain you. That's what's going to keep you going in this fight of persevering in the faith and holding fast. But here's the key thing here. We need to feast on the word. And you need to do it every day. One meal on Sunday, I get 30 minutes um, compared to the hours of scrolling and TV, I get 30 minutes to try to get you to like, to, to really hold fast to this and believe it and obey it. Like that's, that's not going to be enough. You need to be in the word every single day. But what makes this gathering unique is that we feast on the word together. It's a banquet. It's a communal. We come together and we feast on the word. And there's something unique and special about coming together with others who are also drawing near to God. And we're encouraged to do the same. You, you know this if you've ever been in a crowd. That's just how God designed it. It's how he wired it. I'm not a baseball fan. Um, I know, I know well, we got a baseball fan back there. I'm not a baseball fan. I'll just be honest. Um, I didn't play baseball because we had a Wednesday night church. That's when Little League was. And so I couldn't play. Um, and so I never played baseball until my junior year um, when they needed someone. And, and they threw me in right field and just hoped the ball didn't go to me, right? <laughs> Like, I'm, it just wasn't a baseball. But one time, my uncle got uh, Catherine and I, she's in Children's Church, Catherine and I tickets to a Detroit Tigers game. So we went to it, and, and all of a sudden, man, I found myself. I mean, I, we went into the over, extra innings. I'm, I'm flipping my hat for a rally cap. Like, I'm jumping up and down, like, freaking out, running around, like, telling people, like, get in this. All right. Like, all of a sudden, it was this, this community of people gathered around this game encouraged me to start cheering. And, and, and I'm not saying that this is some social hack where we're getting you to worship. I'm saying that's just how God designed it. 
That's how we wired things to work. When we're with other people, um, and we see them agree, and we say, that's a good point. And we hear a preacher up here preaching, and we see others nodding and saying, and they're like, yeah, that's true. And, and there's this encouragement that happens. And, and you see other people drawing near to God in this assembly. And you say, I'm going to pursue God like that. I want God. Pleasures forevermore. Are you kidding me? And we got this whole group here that gets to pursue him together. So the gathering helps us to draw near to God. And the gathering also helps non-Christians as well um, because crowds get attention, do they not? Right, you're walking through, um, we were in Grand Rapids, Shane and I, a few months ago, and we were on those scooters we rented, you know, just, and we totally like got lost, I'll just be honest with you. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in the middle of this protest and it was just like, what is going on, right? But like, that'll slow you down. Like there's a crowd and they're chanting something, right? A crowd gathers attention and, and God made it that way. This gathering helps us to draw near and it helps others to see there's something going on there. Maybe I should take a look, right? Maybe I should look into that. But the gathering helps us. And listen, we should draw near on our own. We need to. But sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're worn. And you know what we need? We need to come to church. We need to be with the people of God. And when our weary heart can't sing or can't pray or can't lift our arms and we see others do that, we're encouraged. We say, I'm going to press on. I'm going to draw near. And that brings me to our next point. Gathering helps us hold fast. Right in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I love that it's rooted in the character of God. And so gathering helps us to hold fast. When we're alone, we tend to get myopic, right? We tend to only see our problem and our concerns. We can get in our heads. We can start believing lies that aren't true. We start to doubt our confession. We start to question our beliefs. We start to question God's love for us. Things get really messy when we're alone. That just happens, and that happens to me, by the way. And I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not up here, like, just living every day, like, on cloud nine and angels on my sides. Like, no, no, no. Like, I wake up with the devil on my head, too, right? I have questions, too. But when we come together, and we see other believers that are doubting, other believers that have burdens, other believers that are struggling, when we learn to doubt our doubts instead of just letting them take over, we learn that, oh, in the, in, the, in the community of faith throughout history, people take their doubts and they go to God with them. They don't wrestle away from God. They bring them right to God and say, God, how long? And, and we get with this group and we see others who are fighting and others who are persevering and others who are going through things. And sometimes, sometimes our little hill of a problem compared to the mountain of our brothers and sisters makes us think twice about our little hill. And suddenly we're focused on helping them. And suddenly the burden that was so heavy for us doesn't feel so heavy anymore because we're gathering together and we're helping one another to hold fast, to persevere in the faith. If you look at a twin text in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, the author says here, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So he's talking to Christians and he says, Hey, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need to understand that sin in its very nature is deceiving. It's blinding. It looks good. It will kill you in the end. And so we need a community who will point out our blind spots and say, you're being deceived by that sin. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And listen to this. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence Firm to the end. Well, that's kind of scary. 
This passage tells us why gathering, why being with other believers is so important. All of us have blind spots in our life where we're tempted to drift. Right? We're tempted to drift in the deceitfulness of sin. And here's the terrifying part. If the drift goes unchecked, it can actually lead to an abandoning of the faith. Do not fight and wrestle and struggle with these doubts alone. Get another believer. You need another believer to help you with this, to exhort you every day while it's called today. Hold on. I know it's hard right now, but hold on. Don't let go of Jesus. He's better. And so if the drift goes unchecked, it leads to an abandoning of the faith. Now, listen, this does not mean that the person loses their salvation. We are eternally secure when we believe in Jesus. But what this does mean is that when people leave the faith, they were never saved in the first place. That's terrifying. The ESV Study Bible puts it this way. This verse provides a grave warning to everyone who claims to be saved. That is, to examine oneself carefully, to be sure that one is in fact a genuine believer. Because if there is no evidence of perseverance and faith and obedience, then there is real reason to doubt that such a person has ever been saved. I know that's hard, and that's not preached today. People don't talk about it. That doesn't really draw crowds, right? I'll just be honest with you. But if I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to preach the word. And the word says, hold fast and keep an eye on your brothers and sisters, because there might be, they might be drifting into the deceitfulness of sin, and exhort them and warn them, hold on to Jesus. We need our brothers and sisters to do this. We cannot do this alone. The gathering is not optional. It's critical. It's the means that God has used and chosen to help you persevere in the faith. And keep in mind that it also helps others. Maybe you're like, man, I'm doing great. Like, I didn't wake up with Satan on my head. Like, I'm on cloud nine. Things are great. Come to the gathering and help those who aren't doing great. Encourage them. Which, which kind of brings us to our next point in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so that brings us to number three. Gathering helps us to consider others. Here we're told that we should think carefully and thoughtfully about the well-being of other believers in our church and think of ways, like actually think of ways to stir them up into love and good works. The King James says to provoke one another. It's actually quite a strong word. Like it has the idea of provoking. Um, and, and I love that because I love to provoke people, right? But, but here we got license to do it, um, but for a good reason, to love and good works. And so in all seriousness, though, we need to hear this today because for us, it's, it's really very self-centered. You've got to understand that. The, the air that we breathe today is self-centered me. It's all about me. And so a lot of times you're only thinking about you. But here we're told to consider others. Because we live in a world today um, this, that, that's all about iPhones and iMacs and iPads. And, and I told you a few weeks ago that we've shifted away from big front porches and fellowship to back porches and privacy fences, right? Like really tall privacy fences, right? We don't know our neighbors. We have a button to let us into our castle and then it shuts, right? Like we just don't want to be around people. Um, and so we really need to hear this today. You need to think about others. It's not natural to do so. But you need to think about others. And it's hard to do that while you sit on a couch and watch an online service, right? Because you're not thinking about others. You're thinking about the, the audio quality and how boring this guy is and this little notification here that you wanted to look at, and the, the laundry that you haven't folded yet, right? Like you're, not, you're not thinking about others. You need to be here physically and brush shoulders with one another. See the pain and see the burdens. Stay for table talk and get to know the church and actually like get engaged and help your brothers and sisters and also be helped. We, we need to be here in the gathering because the gathering is the catalyst for us to consider others during the week. So think through this later today. What are some other ways that you can stir up 
Love and good works in the lives of others here. Here's some ideas to get you started. Point out gifts of grace in the lives of others. I say gifts of grace because it wasn't anything good that we did. It's all grace. But point out gifts of grace. Show love to others in the church. Serve others with good works. Be an example of love and good works to others. Invite others to serve with you. That's provoking. That's pushing. That's encouraging. Hey, let's get involved. Let's serve the Lord. There's joy in serving Jesus. Christianity is not an isolated journey. It's communal. This is all over the New Testament. We see our Father who art in heaven. Not my Father. But you know what we pray in 2021? My Father. It's all about us. And so again, again, we we need the community to help us to consider others. Next, Next, look at 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Preachers love this verse. They're just like, yes, a command to come and be in church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this for all it's worth, right? Uh, so this brings us to number four. Gathering is commanded by God. And honestly, we could have just had this point, and I could have been, all right, let's end. That's enough, right? God said to do it, so let's do it, right? Um, but I'll explain a little bit here, because it's important to understand that if God says it, yes, that settles it. You don't even have to believe it. It just settles it, because God said it. But... It's important to know here that the commands of our Lord aren't grievous, right? Isn't that what John said, who spent time with him? The commands of our Lord, they're not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're not begrudging submission. They're commands for your joy. They're commands for you to step into delight and enjoyment and pleasure forevermore. That's what the commands of our Lord are. And so if it's in his character um, to call us into greater joy, then he calls us to gather for our joy. You need to understand that. This is not like, man, I really wish I could golf today, but I got to go to church. No, this is a privilege. This is stepping into joy. We need to understand this. And and God is so serious about your joy. Because what do I always say? What Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. God doesn't get glory when you're like, yeah, I got to go to church today. I'll meet you at the barbecue later, though. God doesn't glory from that. He gets glory when he sees, when others see just this awesome obsession and love for Jesus. And so God is so serious about your joy that he puts this command in 26. If we go on sinning deliberately, which includes forsaking the gathering, after receiving the knowledge of the faith, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You're like, well, that sounds like begrudging submission. What is he doing there? He's trying to literally shake you into understanding his commands are for your joy. Believe him. Trust in him. And listen, there's going to be times when you don't believe it. You don't. And so maybe a little duty kicks in. You know, I'm going to go to church. I've made it a habit. I'm going to go to church. And and God does something with that. I'm telling you, he does something in that gathering that you you may not even see or feel in the moment. But you you say this. You say, I trust God here. I trust him that he's for my joy. He's he's for his glory. He's for my good. And I'm going to obey him here because I know, I know that it's stepping into joy. If we continue in verse 25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And so this is the final point. Gathering helps us to encourage others, which is very similar to earlier, but that was more of a provoking. That was more like, get involved, do good works. Like, get off the bench and get in the field. There's room for all of us here. Like, we all have gifts. Let's get involved. This is more like encouraging. Like, hey, I got you. I'm here for you. I'm going to bear these burdens with you. Again, we need to hear this because we're so individualistic. We're so self-centered. I'm I'm saying all of us, including me, we're just self-centered. It's the air we breathe. You've got to know that about yourself. That you're going to be self-centered. 
And, and so you need, to, you need to fight that urge to, to just get myopic and internal. You need to look out. And it'll, it's for your joy, by the way. But take faithfulness to the gathering, for example. When, when we miss church, how often do we consider how that decision will impact others? We tend to think, oh, bummer, I slept in. Oh, bummer, I'll be out of town this week. And, 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 and I know there's certain situations that bring us out of town, but we rarely think, man, how is it going to affect others if I'm not there? Have you ever considered that it's not the same without you here? That God placed you in this community to help others to persevere, to encourage others? That when they see your faithfulness, you're encouraged, they're encouraged to be faithful? When they see you worship God with outstretched arms and tears streaming down their face, your face, they say, I want to pursue God like that, like we talked about earlier. We need the community that considers and encourages others. We need to be that type of community. We need to fight the, the air that we're breathing today and fight the individualism. There are so many one another commands in the Bible. We could do a whole sermon series on them. Here's a small list. Love one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. We can't fulfill these one another's if we're never together. Right? We can't fulfill these if we're not gathering. But here's a challenge for you. If we focus on this point, when you come to church, I want you to think ahead of time. I want you to think of a specific way that you're going to encourage one other believer that day. One other person in the gathering. You have no idea, and I mean this, you have no idea the amount of serious burdens and struggles that were brought into this room. There are burdens all over the place, sometimes masked by a smile. And so you need to press in. You need to help others. You need to be an encourager. And so I, I, my mentor said this, Pastor Bob Johnson. He said, if, if you go to church and, and, and you didn't encourage someone else, I want you to consider it wasn't a success today. Make that a weekly challenge. I'm going to encourage one other person today. And, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to encourage one other person. And if you forget, text them later and encourage them. But, but make it a weekly challenge. I'm going to go and I'm going to encourage one other brother or sister to persevere, to hold on to Jesus, to cling to Christ, because he's worth it. We need that. Here's some helpful ways to get started. Be a good listener. Man, wouldn't that be nice? It seems like a lot of times in conversations today, if you, if you watch it, um, they're just waiting for the other person to like, take a breath so they can talk about themselves, right? How refreshing is it when you come across someone who's just a good listener? I got to highlight my wife here. She's so great at this, and I'm not. Go for it. Just love to blab about ourselves. And so we, I just, that's a besetting sin I need to be aware of. Like, Shannon, if I'm, if I'm blabbing about myself, can you just like nudge me? And I get it. Like I get an elbow sometimes in groups. I'm like, all right, be a good listener, right? But, but be a good listener. You know how encouraging that is? Sometimes people don't have anyone to talk to. And so just listen. And, and men, don't give advice. Just listen. I know it's tempting. Like, I've got like three ways I can fix this right now. No, no, no. Just listen. They probably already know how to fix it. And I'm talking about your wives too. Like, just listen to them. I'm telling you, it'll help you. That's for free. Be a good listener. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Thank them for coming. There's a lot of guests here today. A lot of regulars are out of town, but... The campers filled it in. It was awesome. All right? So thank you for being here. But you regulars, go introduce yourself to them before they leave today. The guests are like, no, we're introverted. Don't do that, right? <laughs> introduce yourself. Write an encouraging note to someone. Man, in a digital world, isn't it nice to get a handwritten letter, handwritten note? Have someone over for dinner. And you may not be like, like Martha Stewart in the kitchen, okay? That's fine. Throw a frozen pizza in the oven. Have them over for dinner, all right? Send someone a text with a verse of encouragement this week. 
thinking about you. Bless someone financially if you're able. Get involved by serving. These are just a few ideas. We need to be a community that's marked by this for the sake of the souls of our brothers and sisters and our own soul. And so there's so much negativity in the world. How awesome would it be to come into this gathering and find encouragement from brothers and sisters? Now, I have to make this side note. We're coming to an end. We're kind of getting ready to land on the runway. I know what time it is, okay? But I got to make this side note because preaching a message about why you need to come in church and be here every week, it really seems self-serving, all right? It just does. And I'll just call that out for what it is. It seems like that. And listen, is it encouraging for you to come? Yes. I don't want to preach the chairs. Like, you have no idea how many hours I'm just praying for you, and I'm just wrestling with the text, and I'm just begging God. I'm, I'm like finding all this gold, the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and, and I'm just coming out here Sunday, and I just want to throw gold at you. Like, it's awesome. And when you're not here, I'm like, man, wish they were here. I'll be honest. I love it that you're here. But I preach this message not for myself. I preach this message for your soul. You need to hear this today. And I'm so serious about this, that if there's something about this church, and I say this a lot, if there's something about this church, the music, the timing, the annoying preacher, if there's something that, that stops you from regularly gathering, find a place that you can. You, you need to for the sake of your soul. Biblically and historically, you will not thrive as a Christian without a local church. And so I'm preaching this for your joy. You're part of a body. You're not meant to do this alone. So find a Bible-believing church that you can get plugged into and do life with those brothers and sisters. And it's hard and it's messy and people are annoying and frustrating, but that's what God uses to shape us into the image of Jesus. We need one another for the sake of God's glory and the good of your soul. So as we close today, I just want to highlight a few things really quickly. This is so, you got to get this because you just got a list of commands, right? Basically, like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But what you need to know, and this is why I read the whole passage during, during the scripture reading, you need to know that every one of these commands flows out of and is empowered by the gospel, the person and work of Jesus. In fact, the passage begins with Christ's priestly work on our behalf. He made a way. He lived a life you could never live. He died on the cross for your sins. He absorbed the wrath of God that you deserved. And so in light of that, Let's draw near. The curtain is gone. We can draw right into the very throne room of God. Do you notice how it's anchored in the gospel, though? That's the only way we can do it. It's the means and the motivation for drawing near. And the same is true for all of these commands. This passage is bookended by the person and work of Jesus. It ends with, as you see, the day approaching. His work isn't finished. He's coming back to get us. He's not going to leave us here, brothers and sisters. Jesus is coming again. He's coming to get us. And so we, we press into this. We encourage one another. We stay faithful when we don't feel like it because the day's coming and Jesus is coming soon and we want to be a church who's ready for his return. And so this passage is bookended by the person and work of Jesus because Jesus, you've got to get this, is both the means and the motivation for perseverance in the faith. He's the only way it's possible and he's the only one who can actually give us the motivation to do it. I don't preach legalistic sermons because that's temporary. You may get in line for a little while, but it's going to fall away. I'm pointing you to your joy, to the gospel as the engine that's going to make this happen. And the reason I highlight this is because when we don't feel like drawing near, when we're too weak to hold on, when we struggle to consider others, when we don't feel like gathering and encouraging, what do we do? You look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We look to his work on our behalf. We look forward to his glorious return. 
We look forward to, like we sang last week, our future's fixed. Our journey's clear. God will not let us go. Every trial that tempts our hearts to fear, he'll use to give us hope. All creation groans as we await what our eyes have longed to see. Every pain and evil we've long endured will be crushed by Christ our King. That's the day. That's the day that we're looking for, brothers and sisters. That's coming. That's, life is short. It's a vapor. Jesus is coming. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And, and these commands, they're not grievous. They're for our joy. Brothers and sisters, that day is approaching. Jesus is coming soon. So let's draw near to God. On Sunday and every day this week, just draw near, press in. Let's hold fast our confession. Why? Why do we keep holding on to this? Why do we keep trusting in this? Why are we anchoring our eternity in this? Because he who promised is faithful. And you can look back in history, and you can look back in your life, and, you, and I can tell you story after story after story that God is faithful. So hold fast. Don't give out. Don't let go. He's faithful. And let's consider one another. Right? This is a community. Let's consider one another. Draw near. Hold fast. Consider others.